You're listening to From the Desk of Alicia Kennedy, a food and culture podcast. I'm Alicia Kennedy, a food writer based in San Juan, Puerto Rico. Every week on Wednesdays, I'll be talking to different people in food and culture about their lives, careers, and how it all fits together and where food comes in. Today, I'm talking to Christina Cho, author of the cookbook Moon Cakes and Milk Bread. We discussed how studying architecture has influenced her recipe work, moving from the Midwest to California, and why it was so important for her to pay homage to the Chinatowns of the United States. Hi, Christina. Thanks so much for being here. Hi. So excited for this podcast. Can you tell me about where you grew up and what you ate? I grew up in Cleveland, Ohio, technically the suburbs, but my grandparents, and it's also where my, my mom and all her siblings grew up, but they grew up in Chinatown of Cleveland. Um, and so I ate a lot of Chinese food growing up, <laughs> which makes sense. Like uh, my family is a Cantonese Chinese family from Hong Kong. So I ate a lot of Chinese food, but I also ate a lot of, I don't know, I would say like the classic Midwestern staples because my mom was always interested in learning how to make, I don't know, I guess American food and figuring out a way to make it palatable for my family that loves Asian flavors. How would she do that? So there's two recipes in my mind that always stick out to me that are kind of like this like really interesting fusion. Uh, she makes uh, this really great meatloaf, which I haven't had in a long time, um, but we had meatloaf a lot growing up and her glaze on it rather than just like ketchup and you know, whatever else you put in it, she would do like a ketchup and oyster sauce like mixture and uh, she would put breadcrumbs and green onions inside of the meatloaf. Mm -hmm. uh, so it, it had a lot of uh, that sweetness and also like the umami flavors from oyster sauce. And then oh. also her, uh, I call it mom's spaghetti um, <laughs> or like Chinese spaghetti. And uh, her, again, it's ketchup again. I think my mom <laughs> probably growing up was like, what's ketchup? Like I need to like figure out how to use this in everything because she loves it. But her version of like spaghetti, spaghetti uh, bolognese was like ground beef ketchup oyster sauce like again and later on in life when I described it to other people like there, there's like a Filipino version of like spaghetti that's like very similar to it so I just find like that recipe very interesting to compare with other people's kind of like immigrant history Americanized version of uh, classic American recipes right well you know and you grew up cook around cooking and food and it's always been a significant part of you your life as you write in your book Mooncakes and Milk Bread and but writing recipes down is kind of an entirely different set of skills from just eating or cooking and you credit your training as an architect with your ability to test recipes to perfection but when it came to writing instructions for home cooks how did you you know get your voice together to communicate your style of cooking it was quite a journey. I don't think I initially had my recipe writing voice at the beginning of my cookbook writing process. And it mm -hmm. kind of just took me a few months throughout that whole writing process as I developed recipes to kind of like figure that style out. Because uh, you're right, like growing up in my family, like no recipes were written down ever. It was just kind of like go by feel. Uh, recipes were passed down orally. Um, and I think working in architecture, a lot of it is just kind of like creative, developing different concepts and ideas. But then there's like the more kind of like practical side, like when a building goes into construction, you document it in a very mm -hmm. meticulous way so that someone else knows how to build it 
And so I think I took that mindset uh, into recipe writing, like kind of noting what details are important for someone that I don't know. I don't know what their kitchen is like um, and giving them everything that they need to be able to execute this recipe successfully. So I focus a lot about like indicators, like a lot mm-hmm. of times recipes have like times, but also you say like until golden brown. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, just talking to other people, it was just like really important for me to like emphasize like cooking towards indicators because <laughs> cook times, every everyone's oven's like different. I it, Yeah, that was important to me. And also kind of writing recipes in a very like warm way. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wanted to, and it's the only way that I know how to write is to write in my own, like how I would speak. Mm-hmm. So I wanted the recipes to sound like I am there in the kitchen with you to assure you that everything's going fine. Um, so like if anything, while I was making it like the Chinese sausage and cilantro pancakes are a good one. I, I like to say in there that like while you're rolling it, if like a bit of cilantro bursts out of your dough, like don't panic, like that is supposed to happen. So I try to like <laughs> note where like, oh, someone might freak out here. I need to add a note to make sure that they're okay. <laughs> Right. It's so hard to do to to and that's such an amazing skill to have is to know where to account for someone else's state of mind or someone's oven. It's it's really mm-hmm. difficult. I I mean, I'm kind of new to writing recipes down for people and it's really nerve wracking and it's really interesting. The questions you'll get that you never thought of. But from. Yeah. From, yeah. It, it, has that helped you as well as is knowing where people kind of falter and, and ask for advice? Yeah, absolutely. And, and even now as the like the book is out into the right. world, like I, I can't really change anything that's like on the pages. But um, like my my DMs like on on Instagram, I kind of treat it as like an open hotline for people <laughs> like I I and I, I probably shouldn't I should probably separate that a little bit and not be on it so much answering people's questions. But I honestly like live for it. Like I mm-hmm. love hearing other people's like experience making it like there's just one kind of like maybe like a little bit of a finicky uh, cake in the book. It's a, a Malay cake and mm-hmm. she was making it at like a high altitude. And I was like, oh God, I like don't know. I like, I have zero experience with like baking anything at like a high altitude. So I was just kind of like picking her brain with like figuring out like what would happen. Uh, I honestly, I, I love that stuff. I love like troubleshooting, figuring out the little details. And I think post book release, learning about all these things out in the real life of how these recipes were truly executed in the real world, I think will just like make me a better recipe developer too. And like, if I write it like a second book or another baking book in the future, all of the stuff is very, very valuable. Well, you know, and you were kind of talking about this and discussing your mom's twist on different classic Midwestern or American recipes. But, you know, I always think of the Midwest because I'm from New York as having its own distinct food culture too, which it does obviously. But I, I, how does it influence your cooking style, if at all? I think the biggest thing that growing up in the Midwest has affected the way that I cook is that I find it very difficult to cook for one to two people. <laughs> uh, just because, I, but I, I do it all the time because I, I just live with my fiance and my dog. So mm-hmm. it's just, uh, I guess, the two and a half of us. I don't make, I don't make <laughs> scratch food for my dog, but uh, it, I naturally just like love to cook for a lot of people. That's where mm-hmm. I feel most comfortable. I like making family style meals or like, like multiple desserts to share Mm -hmm. like everything's family style you need options uh and I think growing in the midwest like even even if you didn't grow up in an asian american family that's just how the midwest 
is potlucks, school functions, you bring like a bunch of like casseroles and like tray baked things, like a ton of cookies. Like I, I think mm-hmm. there's like a very kind of like warm and hospitable food culture in the Midwest. I think there's a deep appreciation of kind of like fluffy doughy breads and a lot of cheese and cream cheese mm-hmm. that I, I love and have carried that on to adulthood. <laughs> Yeah. And now you live in San Francisco, which you also credit with influencing your cooking style. So how has California kind of built upon that style you developed around your family and and also among friends in in growing up in Ohio? Yeah, it's such an interesting hybrid of all these different (laughs) influences based on where I live. Um, So I I actually moved out of San Francisco um, last year, but I live in the East Bay now, just just adjacent to Berkeley. So I'm still in the Bay Area. and I, I think even doing that move has kind of like changed my food a little bit. But uh, just like solely California, I think it I think in a way it has almost spoiled me in the mm-hmm. way that I cook because we just have such incredible produce. Any fruit and vegetable I could ever imagine is here and it's so incredibly fresh. And there's a lot of like amazing like Asian owned uh farms here. So I have access to like, just like, I don't know, like her- heritage variations of like bok choy and stuff. And so mm-hmm. it feels, it feels like there's like an abundance of all this thing, all these things I can work with. But I try to like maintain like a really realistic approach with the way that I recipe write. Like I know not everyone's going to have this access to this like in very specific variety of bok choy or cabbage, right. you know? But I think just being in California, just like a, it's like a really wide palette of stuff mm-hmm. that I could kind of like experiment with. And I used to be kind of a picky eater when I was a kid, but now I have just like this love of vegetables and like fresh produce and like fruit throughout the seasons. And I think that's how California has changed me. And also just being in California where there's so many different uh, cultural backgrounds and so mm-hmm. many restaurants that represent that my own knowledge of food has just like expanded so much just by living here. Right. Well, and your book, Mooncakes and Milk Bread, is a love letter to Mm. Chinese bakeries and Chinatowns everywhere, including the Cleveland Chinatown where your family had its restaurant when you were growing up. Why was it important to you to give these places and their recipes their due in a cookbook? I think because these restaurants have been somewhat overlooked for a super long time, uh, my my family. So my my grandpa had a bunch of restaurants uh, throughout the years, like some in Chinatown. But the the one that I actually grew up in, it was his last restaurant before he retired. Um, and he actually picked it or picked the location based on where my parents bought a house to like raise <laughs> my brother and I, which was like in Westlake, Ohio. Uh, and so that was like his last restaurant. But our our tie to Chinatown and also our love of just like Chinese food and restaurants like I think that was just something that like needed to be celebrated and it's kind of shocking to me that like even in the year like 2021 there's been more opportunities to highlight it but I think that it deserves so much more celebration Mm -hmm. Uh, like Chinese American restaurants have been such a important part of like I think like general culture even like entertainment Hollywood culture like a background of different movies and like things like that but to be celebrated in a very real way is special and I think that's why a lot of people really relate to this book for sure because they finally feel like it's seen right right and it's such an illustrative book about with techniques you know like your hands are in it pulling on dough or there's Mm -hmm. you know ways of illustrating 
the the movements that you would make to make a certain type of bread. So what inspired your your level of visual explanation? So it, it's actually interesting because a lot of people have brought that up. They're like, I haven't seen a cookbook with so much step-by-step, right? Uh, like visual guides before. And for me, like and it wasn't even like a question about whether or not I would include these things in there. Like I just naturally when I was like, I shot all the photos myself. And so it was really great that what, as I was recipe testing, like I could kind of be like, oh, like I should probably shoot this process too. And I think it was important for the success of a lot of these recipes because since this is like the first comprehensive book that covers mm-hmm. a lot of like these Chinese bakery recipes, there's not a lot of frame of reference for a lot of people. Like every recipe in this book has a has at least a photo to demonstrate mm-hmm. like what it, the final thing should look like. But like in a different type of baking book, if someone just had like a version of chocolate chip cookies and maybe there was no photo with it, I think people could still visualize what that would look like. Mm-hmm. Um, but then with uh, like some of like the breads or how to like laminate the pancakes in here, you're like, I don't totally understand what that means. As hard as I try to make the written recipe as clear as possible, I'm a visual learner. Just mm-hmm. having the the photos in there to show how many turns and like what a coil looks like. Again, it encourages people to make the recipes more when there's something like that to help you. Right. And I mean, people do tend to be really stressed about baking, um, but you have such a a down to earth voice and like and through that illustration uh, and that kind of level of detail, you really do make each recipe approachable, even if it has a lot of components. And has baking always come naturally to you? Has that always been something that you were good at? I think uh, it's a complicated answer because I, I, I love to also like cook like a, a, mm-hmm. like the savory so just like naturally cook I I almost would say that that comes even more naturally for me mm-hmm. but I love the process of baking because and I, I think you've already alluded to it you can probably tell by just reading the book like I'm very process driven I love figuring out like the success of individual components and figuring out how they work together again it's like that architectural mindset mm-hmm. in a way what really got me to love baking was that when I was like in middle middle school, I kind of just got really obsessed with figuring out how to make like the best cheesecake or um, really fudgy chocolate cake because those are things that like my family didn't know how to make. Mm-hmm. And when I set out to make those things in my kitchen, it was like the one time in the kitchen that I would be alone because mm. there my grandma wasn't there. My mom wasn't like there trying to tell me like, oh, you should do this and this and this. Because like if I was trying to make dumplings, I would have like 50 opinions about like how I should uh, mix my filling or my dough, you know. So mm-hmm. um, I think like baking for me has always been therapeutic in that sense that like allowed me that like kind of quietness to kind of really figure out my own style and methodically think about each step of a recipe. And I think that part of baking comes really natural for mm-hmm. me. I feel like I'm haunted by the process of making like French macarons because <laughs> like I have like a 30% success rate with them now. So I wouldn't say that like all parts of baking come super natural to me. There's like definitely, I still have my fair share of like fails and struggles uh, with different recipes. <laughs> well, they're very difficult. And I, I feel yeah. like the, wev- the weather is always going to be like either on your side or not with them. Oh, but- to- totally. I, I feel like when I made them in my apartment in San Francisco, I was like, if the Muni bus like, like barrel too hard by my apartment <laughs> while I was making them, it would like mess them up. 
<laughs> but um, what what also helped you to focus on on bread and yeasted doughs? You know, that, that's also an aspect of baking that people get very, you know, stressed mm-hmm. about or, or or aren't don't find approachable. Yeah, I yeah, there's something about the word dough that just like strikes fear in the hearts of a lot of people <laughs> for like some reason. When people have asked me about like advice on starting to work with dough, I actually tell them to work with like a non-leavened dough first. Right. Um, just to kind of like get the feel of what a hydrated dough should feel like. And that mm-hmm. obviously, of course, is like if you have a good recipe. And so like in the book, like if you try making the dumpling dough or the the pancake dough in here, they're very similar. That's a really good way and like low stress avenue to kind of like get used to kneading dough and knowing what it should feel like and handling it. And then if you feel like a little bit more comfortable, you can start going into like the milk bread or the other kind of yeasted doughs in there. And I, some people like to just add like instant yeast into their dough and just like call it a day. And it is really mm-hmm. easy if you feel comfortable and know for a fact that your yeast is alive. But for some reason, I've been like, I, I've been burned by like <laughs> different yeast saying that it was like alive or like it didn't expire yet. And even though I added it in there, it didn't activate. And so I think just like getting used to using active dry yeast and blooming it and warm milk or water and seeing that it's like literally alive and bubbling. I think that's like a first step in kind of just feeling comfortable. Like, okay, this thing that is like the deal breaker for my bread is alive. Mm-hmm. I'm good now that it's like bubbly <laughs> and stuff. So it's definitely like a process, but I, I have like a pretty extensive like intro to the milk bread right. recipe that kind of like, here are all the different parts, you know, and like <laughs> these are the things that you should look for. Again, just like making sure people feel comfortable. For sure. And I you mentioned social media earlier about how your DMs on Instagram have become sort of a, a recipe hotline. But, you know, I was noticing that you you kept your blog up that you, you know, you have a huge following on, on social media and on Instagram, you know, how are you balancing that? And, and what is your day-to-day life now, now that the cookbook is out? My life is like sort of all over the place, but like in a good way. (laughs) Yeah. I, so yeah, so I still have my blog, eatrofood.com. And I I feel like there's like this strange shift that like people don't really have blogs anymore. Like they have like newsletters and things like that. And I think it's, it's all like the same. It's just like sort of like in a different like platform, you know? And I think I'm going to have the blog like forever just because it's like an, it, it, it's been a part of my life for like so many years now. And like in a sense, like diary entries in a way, because I like to keep them very personal. But for a really long time, actually, I, I was really consistent about um, sharing like a recipe or even two recipes a week. And I think that uh, since the book has come out, I've been just like a little busy and I still have re- I still have recipes that come out like maybe like every other week or so. But I think it's just like a really great, like stable place to kind of like house all of these recipes that I produce like for free for people. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't know, my, I try to be really good about balancing my, my social media and my cookbook writing work balance and all that stuff. And I think right now, because it's the holidays, it's like a little crazy. I I feel like at the end of the year, for any profession, it's always really busy because they're trying to like wrap up loose ends. But I think especially in like the recipe development world, everyone wants like a million recipes like for their holiday baking, whatever, right. and all that stuff. And so right <laughs> now 
um, kind of like in a rush to develop like a bunch of recipes before I go home for the holidays. But <laughs> I try to divide up my days. Like I'll have like full recipe development days so that I'm in that mindset. And then I have, I block out full days where I am like editing photos, editing videos for like reels or TikToks if I do that. And then full days where I'm writing. That's just kind of how my mind my mind is like right. wired. Like I can't like bounce around. Like it's really hard for me to like, especially with writing. When I was writing my book, I right. I had to like lock myself in, in my bedroom. Like that was like the only place I could actually write. <laughs> I locked myself in my bedroom all day to like write like a bunch of like head notes until I like couldn't anymore. Um, so that that's that's yeah. normally what I like to do. I wish I could say that I'm normally that organized. <laughs> No, I, I have the same struggle. It's like I'm trying to do newsletter days. I have a book deadline oh, yeah. next month. So I'm, yeah, it's, uh, I, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you'll, you'll get there. It'll be done. It'll be great. <laughs> I'll get there. It will be done. But at the same time, it's like, how, yeah. how? So I'm always asking everyone, like, how are you keeping it all together? How did you do it <laughs> to try and understand how how we're all supposed to balance these these tens yeah, of things. Yeah, I think everyone every, everyone's just time. like spinning in circles, just trying to, trying to get it done. Exactly. <laughs> well, this is a question I ask everyone lately, but you know, how for you would you define abundance? I think oh, that's such a good question. <laughs> it's, it's probably very <laughs> insightful for who you asked for. Oh, uh, I almost see abundance as being content in what you have. That makes sense. Um, it's, it's, I think having too much is not exactly abundance in a sense because having too much uh, for me overwhelms me. And so I think like abundance to me is one feeling comfortable and what I have feeling comfortable and content with what I have in terms of like my life, my people, uh, and maybe the groceries in my refrigerator, just like having the perfect, perfect amount that there's no waste and not too little. Yeah. Right. Right. (laughs) That's it's interesting because people either define it that way, which is yeah. how I think of it, or as people are like, no, abundance is is the gluttony oh of the American yeah. super wealth. No, gl- gluttony, <laughs> almost, it, it, I get it. That overwhelms me. That makes me feel so. That makes me feel uncomfortable. Right. Like I, I actually hate when I like. Well, I sort of love a big grocery store because it's not something I'm used to in the Bay Area. Yeah. So I love seeing like, oh, you have like 20 different varieties of like oats here. Like that's amazing. But <laughs> in my own house, like when I feel like I have too much stuff in my kitchen, I feel trapped. And yeah. that, that's not necessarily what I feel like abundance should make you feel like. You know, you should feel you should feel freedom. Exactly. In a sense. <laughs> yeah. For you, is cooking a political act? I think in a way it is. Um I, I will have to admit that I don't think I'm as vocal as like I should be with like different kind of my political beliefs, but like in my food, I think it's my own way of kind of like subtly expressing the way that I feel in terms of like the cultural politics of things, especially like in like the last year when there was like so much Asian hate especially in like the Bay Area Mm -hmm. and stuff like my food for me is like a way for me to share my pride in my own culture with other people and for other people to Mm -hmm. also share in that pride or I did like a dumpling fundraiser just to raise money for Bay Area Chinatowns and stuff like that and so that's how I, I, I like to use my food as like a political stance. 
Well, thank you so much for taking the time today. Yeah, thank you so much. This has been such a great conversation. Thanks so much to everyone for listening to this week's edition of From the Desk of Alicia Kennedy. Read more at aliciakennedy.news or follow me on Instagram, Alicia D. Kennedy, on Twitter at Alicia Kennedy. Alicia Kennedy.